morning. You know, this may or may not make sense to you, but the Lord was just telling me back there that hold sweet, the words he said, hold sweet, the times that we're in right now as a church, as us here, I don't mean as the bride. I mean, I'm sure it applies other places as well. I'm talking specifically to this group here. Hold sweet these times because of what he's doing in our hearts, because of what he's preparing in our hearts, because there's coming a day very quickly where what he has planted in your heart will be time for harvest. And what that means is that you will be pouring it out into someone else. Right now it may feel like you come and you sit in a chair and you listen and you learn and you unite. There are very different days coming. And they're even upon us. Days even where you may hope for a break. Probably not, though. Because of what God is about to do. So hold sweet these times. Unify together. That is where the Holy Spirit registers His power. In the unity of the bride. We're unified here together. But he is bringing the whole bride together. The whole remnant together. Hold sweet these times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We praise you. Father, we give you our yes this morning. I give you my yes. This morning, I ask, Father, that you speak through me your will, not my own, your words, not my own. I give you my mouth. I give you my hands, my feet. I give you my will by choice. It was not taken from me. But by choice I give it. Because you are faithful. You are faithful to fill my mouth with what you once said. I know, Father, that even as we listen now, it is not just for now. For you have shown me The coming time, coming very quickly, where these videos, these podcasts will be seen and heard by millions. So, Father, that's why it can't be my voice. It can't be my words. It must be yours. Because in your words there is life.
In your words, there is hope. In your words, there is only truth. So it is you who we seek this morning. It is you, Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, our King, our friend. It is you who we seek. It is you who we lift up. We trust you, Lord. Reveal your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So, to the church, this time of year is a very unique time of year, right? I mean, this is Palm Sunday. Next week is Easter. But it's, it's around this time that is the celebration of what Jesus did on the cross, of what he paid for. Now, what's interesting is when you look at how God gives us opportunity, no opportunity is greater any day than the next, right? It is simply about doing his will, about following his lead, his will for our lives. But man, he is an organized God, Things mean something to him. Numbers mean something to him. Dates mean something to him. I can't explain it. All I can say is this season holds something very special. This year perhaps even more than before because of what he wants to do in his bride had a very unique thing happen to me this week that I want to tell you about. Never had it happen like this before. You, you know, uh, I speak to the Lord all the time. We have conversations all the time. Back and forth. It can be through His Word. It has been audible. Mostly... It is audible in my mind. If that, for those of you who hear the Lord's voice, you know what I'm talking about. Right? It's like sometimes it can be so loud in our minds. His, his voice is so loud in our minds. And I think he does that because he wants to distinguish it from you. Because you can also be inside of you. Right? He wants to distinguish that. So I talked to him in many different ways. Um, but this was unique. Normally my conversations with him are, are just back and forth. There was one time, which I won't go into now, but there was one time years ago, early on, when I was taken before him physically, and I've shared this before, that was a unique time. Wow, was that a unique time when I found myself physically before his throne. That's not what I want to share this morning, but that was the closest that I could compare this to. This week I was sitting, I was, I think I was doing budget stuff. It, it, was, it wasn't anything cool, 
You know, like I was in the Word of God and I was praising and I was worshiping and boom, there it was. No, it wasn't that. I think I was doing budget stuff because I knew, I knew for Rich I had to get the stuff done so he could do his stuff after the 31st. So I'm just doing budget stuff on the computer. And clear as day, out of the blue, the Lord says to me, I want you to come before my throne today because I have something to tell you. Okay. I mean, I, you know, kind of thought, aren't I kind of always before your throne? But I had a sense of a formality kind of like the time when I was taken before his throne. So I did later that afternoon. I silenced my heart. I focused my perspective. And I went before him, and he said something to me that I want to share portions of with you. I'm not going to share it all, because part of it's for just me, at least at this point. You'll see it, but for, for now it's for me. But part of it has to do with you. Part of it has to do with the bride. And part of it has to do with what he wants me to share this morning. He said, I've brought you here. Now, by the way, well, no, I'll leave that alone. Never mind. Perhaps I'll share it one day. He said, I have brought you here to tell you an anointing of my power is eminent. He's never used that word before. Not with me. It started out as soon, which we learned to hate the word soon. (laughs) Because technically it's been soon since Jesus was here on this earth. So soon to God is 2,000 years. Right, then it was very soon. Right, and I think there was another one in there, I can't remember now, but this is the first time he used eminent. So I had to look it up. Okay, what does eminent mean? Eminent means at any moment. Means it's ready. It means at any moment. Okay, what at any moment? It's what he said. My anointing of my power is eminent. We have uh, clumsily called it the falling of his Holy Spirit because that's all we know in Acts chapter 2. Right? We see in Acts chapter 2 what happened. The falling of the Holy Spirit that he hit each of the 120 that were up in the upper room. And they had, they had the tongues of fire that, that were above them and, and just everything went crazy. That was the falling of the Holy Spirit. Then immediately we saw the fruit of that power. Peter stood up and he preached. And it was a different Peter. Like, like if you've studied Peter, you know that there was a transition in him. He went from foot-in-mouth guy to the Word of God guy in a moment. 
That was the transition of the Holy Spirit's power falling on them. So that's why I say we clumsily say that because that's what we know. We know Acts chapter 2. We know what happened there. But yet we also know the Lord said what is coming has never happened before. What does it mean when His Word says His Spirit will pour out on all flesh? I don't know. We could give a thousand guesses. We could try our best to understand, and yet we'll always fall short of what it really is. So we clumsily put labels on it. So for that sake, I call it the falling of the Holy Spirit. T2. Times two. Next time, right? That's what he's talking about here where where it says, an anointing of my power is imminent. He said he will pour out his oil and his oil will not cease ever. Ever. He used the word ever. It will never stop. See, we haven't seen that yet. But it's what he's promised his bride. It's what he's promised a unified remnant bride. It's what he's promised us. And it's what's coming. He also said, and and this was specific to me, but I'm reading it because it applies to each one. And each one in the remnant, even now. Because you were faithful with little, I will give you much to be faithful with. And it will be all in the name of my Son, Jesus the Christ. See, what he talks about there, what he reveals there is motivation. And what he laid on my heart this morning was stewardship. What does it mean to steward him? What does it mean to steward his power? What does it mean to steward the Holy Spirit that works in you because of your relationship with the Father? What does it mean to steward those things? See, oftentimes at the beginning, it's easy to think that, well, the Holy Spirit's going to fall, kind of take over, so I'm not there anymore, and my body just does what the Holy Spirit wants it to do, right? Well, that's contrary to Scripture. Because it says, when we steward properly... He then gives us more to steward. That is all throughout the Word of God. That's what He wanted from Israel when He made them a nation. Steward that properly. Steward that. Don't take your eyes off God. And you will always have abundance. You will always move in His will. But yet what happened? 
You just read Scripture and they're, they're just up and down and up and down and up and down. Until the point where they rejected the very Messiah that they had been waiting for. All of that God used to introduce a mystery, Paul said. That mystery, he said, was Gentiles being grafted in. But if you think that is the only piece to the mystery, then it's still a mystery to you. (laughs) Because it is literally Romans 11.11. It is what God does with his bride for the sake of showing Israel what he wanted to do with them. Every promise he had for Israel will come true. Will be done. Interesting in studying what that looks like though. Because the scripture shows the thousand year reign of Christ where he comes and he will rule on this earth physically. You guys know that. The second coming of Jesus Christ. It will happen when, when Israel, as a nation, claims him as Messiah and says, come, please come. We know it comes after three and a half years of absolute hell. The second half of the tribulation. In the Bible, the, it calls it the great tribulation. Then Jesus comes. He comes with his armies. He comes with, I believe, many of his bride that will rule with him. He crushes the enemy. He takes control. And he leads for a thousand years. I remember when I used to teach the word of God. And I, I used to just think. That is the pinnacle of what God wants. He's going to show everything in that time. What he wanted for his people. Oh man was I wrong. Was I wrong? That's not even what it's about. Do you know when he comes and he rules that thousand year reign, what's it say? He rules with a rod of iron, right? In fact, the temple will be rebuilt. There will be more sacrifices in that time frame than before. Go read it. Starts Ezekiel chapter 40 where it begins to show the millennial temple and what it's about. Very interesting study. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. Very interesting study. That's in the thousand year reign. Only thing is there's one sacrifice not there anymore and that's the one that Jesus paid for. Right? That was eternal life. Do you know not all of... The sacrifices in Leviticus were about eternal life. They were about the law. But the law was in terms of showing man's need for relationship. That's literally what it became, was a way for man to have this relationship with God. That's the thousand-year reign. 
Everything God has promised Israel, he will do. I myself believe that he will go back to the law. That's why he rules with a rod of iron. Because that is what they wanted. That is what they kept in rejection of the Messiah. However, the mystery of the bride is where the gems are hidden. Because, see, the mystery of the bride is not just the Gentiles. It is also the Jews who believe in the Messiah. Paul says the the mystery of the bride is that the Gentiles are grafted in, that they all now are equal in God's favor. That He is producing a family that are the same, that love the Lord. So if you want to really get down to brass tacks, the real opportunity for Israel is right now. It's for Israel to believe in the Messiah. God will come. He will come and take His throne, the throne of David in Jerusalem. But see, that's about ruling with a rod of iron. And right now, He still rules with grace. Why does He rule with grace? Because love does not come from forcing someone to love. That's why He gives choice. He will never take away our choice. In fact, this week was hard for me. I've been fighting for an individual for a long time. Even when this person would not fight for themselves, I would fight for years. And this week, this person made me aware of decisions that they're making that are so opposite the direction of God it's obvious to one who knows God and I wrestled with that because I thought Lord oh man I I, I can't I can't put up with this I have to fight for this person I have to fight for truth I have to fight so they would see truth And I was talking with Bryn, and the Lord had given her, I don't know, you wrote it on paper, so I don't know if that's how you talk to the Lord, just writing it down on paper or something, but just the night before, the Lord had opened up to her these thoughts that she put on paper. And those thoughts were in regards to free will, free choice. That if you want to know what Jesus, the the pain of Jesus on the cross was not the pain of our sin and then accepting Him. That was not the painful part. The painful part were those who would not accept Him. Literally Him dying for their choice. Their choice to reject Him. 
So what was said in that paper that hit me so profoundly is that God did not only die for our sin to be covered, but He died for our choice that it was our choice to make and not His. Paid a great price for that. So I gave this person up. Just as they did in 1 Corinthians 5. In the hopes that maybe then they would see truth. But the stewardship that the Lord is talking about in these days is coming to fruition now. The readying of the bride is His plan. Do you know the readying of the bride is what He wanted to do with Israel? It was never supposed to be about the law. Right? It was never supposed to be. It was supposed to be that a Messiah would come and that they would embrace the Messiah, that He would pay that debt in full. And then they, as a nation, would live in that grace. But by that rejection, it says in Hebrews and Galatians, that we were included. Praise God. Praise God. But it was always His intent for every one of His children to have the opportunity for that. So the real plan of God, set from, from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, will be fulfilled in His bride becoming ready. Those are the times in which we find ourselves now. That's why His Spirit will pour out on all flesh. That's why He says, something's coming that you've never seen before, and I can't even explain it to you because you won't understand. You're going to have to just see it. It's because what He is doing is right now. It's not Israel or the bride. The bride includes what is offered to Israel. Now I want to be very clear. <laughs> because some people go off on a tangent and say, well, no, Israel had their time. Now, now the bride just kind of replaces Israel. It was never about Israel from the beginning. It was about His children following Him. And in that... Recognized that his children were opened up, as Paul said, to everyone else. So it doesn't slight from Israel. He will fulfill everything that he has promised Israel. They are his nation. They are his people. He will fulfill his plan. But his children included more than that. His children included all that would believe in Him. All would believe in Jesus coming in the flesh. 
as the Messiah. So he expects this stewardship. I explain this because I used to think that stewardship really had to do with the thousand-year reign of Christ. Well, we got to... We gotta do good on this earth because we're gonna come back with him and we're gonna reign with him in the thousand years and he's gonna give us things to do in the thousand years based on how we steward right now. Wow, what a myopic view that I had. But I would guess that that's probably where most Christians at least were at at one time. I just gotta do good in this life because in the thousand year reign, or the next life, or whatever, I'm going to be given more responsibility. No. I mean, yes, perhaps, but it's not what he's talking about. He's talking about to the bride right now. Do you know what is coming requires your stewardship of the Holy Spirit in your life? What is coming here, what is coming right now, what is being offered to the remnant bride is an opportunity to steward in what he intended out of Genesis chapter 2. What he wanted to fulfill in Adam. You know, we kind of don't think that far back. Because... I mean, literally, Adam was the first one, and he really screwed it up for everybody. And he did. I mean, let's be honest. He really did. Not to say that any one of us wouldn't have done the same thing, because we would have. So for that, we can't pin it on him. But because he was the first, and because he failed, because... Satan literally became the prince in the power of the air and had the title deed to the earth. We don't think that far back because we don't think about that being reversed. We think more that it's really about redemption from that. So, so that kind of remains... But now we're just going to redeem from that so we can stand over here and say, I'm okay now. Because I have Jesus Christ and, yeah, I still have this fallen body. I still live in this ridiculously insane world that doesn't love the Lord. But I'm good. No. That's not what his intention was or is. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, he died on the cross for our choice. With the plan that one day his bride would choose to trust and believe everything that he has said. And everything that he commanded. What was commanded? What's the one thing that's been commanded that we have failed in up until this day? Subdue the earth. Subdue the earth. He told Adam, subdue the earth. Organize the earth. Steward the earth. The entire earth, by the way. I don't know, Adam must have had quite a schedule. That would be a little tough for one guy and his wife. Two people. Subdue it. But yet that was the command. That's what he's doing with his bride 
That's what we've been talking about for months. That what is coming is the rulership on this earth of Jesus Christ through His bride. It's the very thing that He intended from the very beginning, long before there was an Abraham, long before there was an Isaac. He just wanted His children to let Him rule through them and this earth be under that anointing. That didn't stop after Genesis 3. That didn't stop after the fall. All it did was produce an enemy with power. But that enemy with power is not all powerful. That's another thing, that's another paradigm that the church really messes up on. Is that the enemy is all powerful. No, there is one that is all powerful and he comes in the form of a triune God. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are the ones who are all powerful. Not Satan. Or, I should say, not Lucifer. The Satan. But yet, the church has looked at Satan as all-powerful. No. That's what's rising up now. We've shared this. You go back, listen to podcasts. That's what is being defeated now. Principalities have been defeated. Land has been taken. Authorities have been crushed. We are almost to the point, and I'll underline almost, we're almost to the point where God is then releasing His bride to just start taking land. There are still points out there that are under stronghold. But those strongholds are going to be broken. They're meant to be broken. They're going to be broken. Strongholds in this country. Now, now, by the way, the strongholds in this country, just so you know, they are broken. Uh, it doesn't look like it. It's like, well, if they're broken, then, you know, certainly doesn't look like it. But they are broken. The fact that they're revealing everything that they're revealing is showing that they're broken. They would not reveal what they reveal now. Joe Biden would not reveal that he's an idiot like he says now. And I don't even say that jokingly. That is a sad statement, but true. When a man gets up knowing that he is about to speak over six people just murdered, and he laughs and jokes about ice cream. Okay, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt and just say that he doesn't know what he's doing because he's really old and senile and everything else, and that's fine. I'll accept that. I don't believe that. I believe he knows what he's doing because he is driven by a spirit that wants to agitate. Why? Because it's being forced to. It's being forced to become transparent. So... The world will know what is really going on. That who is in control? God is in control. Jesus Christ is in control. 
you're going to see this more and more. There is something coming. I can't tell you yet. I'll be able to tell you maybe in a month or so. But there is something coming that is going to bring a shift in the enemy that we have not seen since Genesis 3. That's a big statement. That's a big statement. But yet it's true. It's what the Lord has said. That shift will bring a fear into this world that we've not seen before. It will also bring a confidence into the remnant that we have not seen before. Oh, man. You know the difference between fighting with confidence versus fighting with doubt? Doesn't mean that your assets are any different. I remember when we used to play football and we would go up against a team that was better than us and guys that were bigger than us. If we went into that game, coach used to say, if you go into this game thinking you're going to get beat, guess what? Not only will you get beat, but you will get beaten. Whereas if you go into this not looking at their size, not looking at their strength, but realizing that in your purpose is bigger than theirs, then you'll find yourself on the winning side. That played itself out over and over again in my life. Look at David. David ran, it says in Scripture, ran at Goliath. He ran at him. To run at him, you have to be confident. He had confidence in what was coming. In fact, I think he was running because he just wanted it to get there faster. I feel the same way. Lord, next assignment, I want to run to it. Because it brings us closer to what you're doing. It brings us closer to that word. It brings us closer to your anointing falling, that oil being poured. Oh, man. This church will change. I speak to you guys here right now. I've told you before. If you have been called to this church at this time, it is because you have been called to leadership. God's not taking your choice. You still choose what he's offering you. But to be here at this point, it is for that reason and that reason only. Because there is coming a day and it is coming very quickly where we will not fit in this room. And it's not because he's bringing in more leaders to learn how to lead. I mean, he will do that along the way too. But all he has trained you over the years is to pour into the people that walk through these doors or wherever he sends us. You ready for that? You ready for that? Are you ready to take on an enemy that you see in someone else 
that you have authority over and you want their freedom so bad it's the most important thing in your life, if you have those feelings, you're ready. I believe we're ready. I know I'm ready. He has said he's opened the doors. Be excited for what's coming. I think that's also why he said to me earlier to enjoy the sweet time, (laughs) right? The sweet time. We enjoy each time that comes up. So I want you to turn somewhere. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 4 because we talk about Stewardship. Stewardship is taking something you learn and you're given and to handle it properly before the Lord. And, and <laughs> I want to point out something because immediately in the bride we think stewardship, okay, it's money. It's money. I've got to steward my money better. Yes, Lord, I will steward my money better. Oh, man. If that's what you think it is, you're missing about 98% of it. Yes, money is included, and we cannot serve God and money at the same time. And, and we steward our money, but we steward everything He gives us. You steward your relationships. You steward your friendships. You steward the things He calls you to do. You steward your calling even here at Ignition. You steward your time. You steward your focus. You steward everything about you, and stewardship is about one thing. Father, what do you want me to do here? Father, how would you steward this? Not, yeah, I got it. I got it. Thank you. I got this. No problem. I'll work it out and get it back to you. It's not what he wants. Because that has nothing to do with relationship. has nothing to do with proper stewardship. Because proper stewardship is what keeps away loss. And if you think you can't lose being part of the bride... You're sadly mistaken. We even steward the things we hear. Do you know right now, what you hear right now, you're held accountable to? Did you know that? Now all of a sudden, half the people go, whoa, whoa, okay, hold on. <laughs> Put your plugs in. I don't want to hear. No. Everything that you hear, you're held accountable to. To prove out what is from the Lord. Mark chapter 4, verse 23, says this. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, by the way, what does that mean? Because we see that phrase in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, 2 in this, the letters to the seven churches. What does that mean? You know... And I hear pastors say, well, look on the side of your face. Do you have an ear? That's not what it means. doesn't mean if you have a physical ear, then please listen. 
That's not what it says. What it's talking about is if you have the faith to hear, if you have the faith to understand, if you have the faith to receive it into your life, then listen up. That is a very unique offering. Because it is only offered to those who would believe. To those who seek Him in relationship. Not just putting their whole spirituality into a black and white set of rules. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and still more will be added. So be careful what you hear. Listen to what you hear. Evaluate what you hear. Take it to the Lord. My God is not different than your God. The Holy Spirit in me, for those who are saved, is the same Holy Spirit in you. He will not whisper in my ear some truth and then whisper to you something opposite. I mean, our callings may be different. I'm not saying that. But I'm talking about the truth of His Word. So he says, with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and still more will be added. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Man, those verses need to rest on you and take root in you because you're held accountable for what you hear. When God gives you a charge to listen, to understand, to act upon, and you do not, what you have heard will then eventually be taken away. Because as we choose to move against God's will, There comes a time where he stops asking. Now, to be honest with you, I don't know if he stops asking or if we just stop hearing. It's one or the other. Because I've seen it happen in life after life after life. I've seen people that I grew up with that would believe certain things about Jesus Christ and have been presented with truth, presented with opportunity, rejected it. And now have fallen back that even what they had, even the faith that they operated in, was taken away. And don't confuse yourself. With God, it is not about obedience to principles. And I'm not saying you're not supposed to be obedient. You are. But it's not about living by some set of rules. It's about the faith of what those set of rules are supposed to do in your life. That's what it is. It's about the faith. It says in Hebrews that it is faith that pleases Him. If you don't live in a life that is consumed with faith, how can you please Him? You can't. You can't. 
And yet we fight in our own selves that, oh God, just I just want to know. I just want this to happen. I just want it to be this way so then it's easier. <sighs> Either it's still going to require faith or you have just not stewarded an opportunity for faith. Even faith is to be stewarded. And those who do not steward it properly, it'll be taken away. I want you to turn somewhere else now. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. And I know I'm going long here, but sorry. (laughs) Get over it. Yeah, okay. Parable of the talents. Now, I want to point out something here because, and we've talked about this a little bit before, but I want to point a few things out. The parable of the talents, Jesus spoke in parables. To who? To all the people. In fact, he said, I speak to the disciples, ask him, why do you speak in parables? And, and it was literally to keep hidden the secrets of God except for those who would seek. Wow, what a thought. That, that to know him, you actually have to seek him. Amen. Yeah. Right? You can't just hear something and, okay, awesome, I got it. I got it. See you in heaven, God. Can't wait. <laughs> no, we have to interact. We have to have relationship. We have to build with him. Amen. Right? In these parables, this one in particular... Jesus was explaining what the kingdom of heaven looked like. Okay, now let me explain that a second. Because this is where I got messed up on the fact that, well, on this earth, we're supposed to just do good here because then we're, when we're in heaven, we get these rewards and, and we get to, you know, have placement and whatever. If we steward right here, we get to rule with him there. Or the thousand, I always applied it to the thousand year reign. God showed me how wrong I was. Because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, Jesus Christ's kingdom is what he brought and made available at the cross. He brought it here. In fact, his intent is for it to manifest here. So what he is saying is applicable to your life right now. What you steward in this life will reap benefit in this life. And, and I know, I know we, we kind of know that, you know, in, in a non-spiritual sense. Well, if, you know, if I steward my money, I put it in a savings account and, and it gains some interest and whatever. If I'm wise in my decisions and I don't go to Wawa, you know, four times this week, I'll just go two, you know, then, then I'm stewarding and, and that'll be available to me and whatever, right? We think in terms of that, but God is speaking here in a spiritual sense that is applied to physical things. He puts things in your life to steward. Like I said, it's not just money. It's not just physical things. But it is your relationships. 
definitely your relationship with Him, your time, your faith, your hope. Boy, that's a tough one. Wait a second. Hope is just something I get to receive. No. Hope and faith are something that you do. It's what you believe that is opposite of what you see. You're to steward those things. So what Jesus is giving a parable here for is what it looks like in his kingdom that he wants manifest on the earth. He said, for it will be like a man going on a journey who has called his servants and entrusted them his property. What did Jesus pay for? What did he pay for? Everything, right? He paid for the very reversal of what was given away by Adam in Genesis 3. Then he went on a long journey. Right? That's what he's saying here. I paid for it. It's mine. I have my servants who are my children. Please understand he's not talking about the world here. Because there are components of parables where he does talk about the world. And it can be confusing, especially toward the end, where he says, put in the outer darkness and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Boy, you better know who he's talking about because that is the indicator of where he is talking about. So these are his servants. To one, he gave five talents, which was a, a, an amount of, of money. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability. Recognize that. God was not expecting the same from each one. He had specific callings in your life. Your life is tailor-made to you, not to the person next to you. God has a plan for you. You are graded, if you will, in your stewardship by what He has for you, not what He has for somebody else. That's why I can go to Africa, I can go into these villages that have nothing and say you have the same opportunity that I do. Because God is not going to judge them on what's available to me. Now you flip that around. He is going to expect from me from what He gives to me. Right? To those who he has given many or much, much is required. Right? When we have all that the Lord has given us in our lives, we're to steward what he has, not steward somebody else's. That's the only point I'm trying to make. So he gave it each according to their ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once. And traded with them, and he made five talents more. He doubled his income. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master... You delivered me five talents. Here, I made five talents more. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. By the way, let me point something out there. He didn't say, awesome job, now go retire in Hawaii. Right? That's not what he said. He said, you have done well. Awesome job. Because you have done well, I give you more to do well with. Stewardship will always require further stewardship. There's not an end game. Except maybe when we breathe our last breath. Even then, I'm not positive. (laughs) There's not an end game. Because God leaves choice in our hands, there will always be stewardship. As long as we have choice, we will have stewardship. And be required to steward. He said, um, verse 22, And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Wait a second. Same words. So, so technically, the first guy made two and a half times more than the second guy, but yet it was the same words. You've done well. You've done what I wanted. Well done. Again, it was based on what they were given. I wonder if the words would have been different if that guy who had two turned around and made four more. That would have been kind of cool to see. What would his words have been then? I don't know. Uh, verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, can I point out he is still his servant? This is not the world who doesn't accept Jesus Christ as Savior. If you think it takes all that much effort to accept him as Savior, and that's all you need to do in being your portion of the bride, then you are sadly mistaken. Jesus Christ set the bar low. He set the bar low to believe in Him. You didn't have to fulfill the law. Why? Because He knew you couldn't. That's why the law came. It says that in Galatians. All you had to do was believe. Just believe. Just believe. You, you don't even have to take any other steps. If you did, then I feel sorry for the thief on the cross. Who said, Jesus said, today you'll walk with me in paradise. He didn't have a chance to turn one talent into two or two into four or five into ten. He didn't have a chance to do anything. 
He couldn't even get on his knees before Jesus and, and praise Him. And yet, we'll see Him in paradise. Why? Because Jesus made that bar low. Because of how it was taken from mankind. And that wasn't the main goal. The main goal was not to get you into heaven. That was, that was kind of like the obvious piece. The main goal is the relationship with Him. The main goal is what was lost with Adam and Eve, the walking in the garden, in the still of the night. I think that broke God's heart. He enjoyed that. It was taken away from Him. That's what Jesus paid for. He paid for creation that had been groaning. He paid for creation to be reversed. For sin to be reversed. For curse to be reversed. So it wasn't just about getting into the heaven. And this servant was given a talent that he was expected to do something with. It didn't disqualify him from being his servant. He said, you wicked and thought, slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I, have no, where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has will, be, will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The words there are important to understand in the Greek. The outer darkness literally means obscurity. That's, that's the meaning. It doesn't mean hell. Don't confuse it with, I want to say it's Mark. Uh, I wrote it down here somewhere. No, uh, don't confuse it with Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the weeds explained, because that is a parable of those who don't believe versus those who believe. Okay, very different premise. Don't confuse the two. What this is saying in the parable of the talents is that those who do not do his will, those who do not steward what he gives them will be placed into a place of obscurity in other words he's not going to use them he's not going to use them he's not going to fulfill in them what his intent was like he did the other two you're required to steward what he gives you even your faith even your hope Certainly all your material things, which is honestly a small part of it. If you steward your faith, guess what? Everything else kind of falls into place. 
If you're one of those that has a difficult time believing what God says, then that's where your steward efforts need to be focused. If you read the Word of God and, and he, he says to give more and more abundantly, well, well God, hold on, man. I, I certainly am not experiencing that in my life. In, in fact, I have less and I have less more abundantly. <laughs> That's where faith comes in. That's where believing that His promises are for you. His promises are true. Because without faith, we cannot please Him. So He gives us opportunities of this faith to steward. He has done that with ignition here. He has told us many things for years. Many things. Many things that have come to fruition. The world hasn't seen them yet. So it can kind of mess with your mind a little bit. But yet along the way, God shows you his intent. Like right now, he even told us ahead of time, he said, it's going to look opposite of what I say. He told us that I think two years ago or two and a half years ago, something like that. Here we are in the court of nations and we're having victory after victory after victory. Literally the head being cut off all over the world in principalities. And then the Lord says, watch. It's going to look opposite of what I said. It's going to look like they're controlling everything. Well, there's a reason for that. It's the same reason that the law was given to Moses. The law was not given to Moses for man to uphold. God knew good and well that he couldn't uphold it. It says in Galatians that it was given literally to expose It was to expose what the enemy who is in control now is doing is being made transparent for the sake of exposure. You see it every day on TV. Man, if you guys don't watch the news, just start watching the news a little bit. You'll see it every day. Exposure is not just coming. Exposure's been here. Right? Now the the sentiment is more that, okay, well, Lord, it's been exposed and they just seem to get away with it. Nothing's being done about it. And God says, hold on. The sword in his right hand has been pulled from the sheath. He will move forward to take land. And the enemy will be taken out. It is not that we will see this only in our lifetime. We will see this this year. I expect it any moment. Why? Because he said eminent. And that's an English word and I looked it up. And I hold him to it. That means it can happen at any moment. I look forward to that. Believe. Give him your faith. Steward your faith. Do you believe 
that even your body can be changed? Heck yeah. I do. I used to believe that all these things happen in, you know, after we die and we go to heaven, we get our glorified body and, you know, we get to, you know, if we lived properly in the bride then and steward that well, then we get invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I always believed that because I believed that it was in heaven. I don't believe that now. And you know what? The Bible doesn't say that. I believe the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to happen right here on this earth in the time in which we are. You're going to see resurrections. You're going to see resurrections of those who have been invited to that that have already gone on. How's the world going to deal with that one? I mean, literally. Billy! You, you died like two years ago. What are you doing up? My dad. I won't share with you something that the Lord told me, but you're going to see him. You're going to see him. Because the time in which we live is what he has talked about in over two-thirds of the Word of God. Maybe we'll be able to get into this another time. We'd be here for hours, but I would love to take you into Zechariah. Lord told me at the beginning when I did not understand that, that book at all. He said, Greg, I need you to understand the book of Zechariah because it is the blueprint for what I am doing. I thought, okay, man, I really need to understand that. I'd read it over. I have probably read the book of Zechariah 500 times, at least. And, and each portion he would then show me a little bit about. But chapter 8 is not what you think. Chapter 8 is right now. It's not about Israel. It's about God's perspective through from from an Israel perspective, but it is about right now. It is about the remnant in Israel. I mean, you either have to believe that or you have to believe there's 2,000-year reigns. Because chapter 8 happens in the book of Zechariah, and then everything goes bad <laughs> again. Do you know that there are two days of the Lord? See, we read scripture and we assume it's one. It's talking about the same one, but it's not. Look at the nuances. They're different. There is a day of the Lord for his bride. And there is a day of the Lord when he comes for Israel. Man, the times in which we live. Steward your faith. Steward your faith. Don't let yourself be caught not being willing to believe God. Because even what we hear, if we don't steward it, can be taken away. And I know for these people right here, for many of those that listen online, God has purpose. God has a calling 
Not necessarily something that you're supposed to be doing right now. That's not my point. Because he hasn't pulled the trigger yet. And I keep asking him that. Is this something we're kind of, you know, easing into, morphing into? He said, no. He said, you'll know. He said, it's the same as pulling a trigger. What happens when you pull a trigger? Right before the trigger, nothing. Right after the trigger, everything. That's why you hear some of the prophets and they say everything will change in a 24-hour period. What does that mean? Does that mean that all of a sudden we'll have over a billion people accept Christ within a 24-hour period? No. No, it means the focus and focal point of his war will change in a moment. It's like pulling a trigger. When his spirit falls, and you'll see it, you'll know it. It will not be to where, you know, that might be it, you know. I mean, what what was that revival recently? What was it called? Asbury, yeah. Well, you you know, is is that the falling of his spirit? You're not going to have to guess. You're not going to have to guess. Because it'll be like the shot heard round the world. But in this case, literally heard round of the world. Thanks to the internet. (laughs) You'll know it. You won't have to guess. And it's eminently upon us. Alexis, come on up. These are very exciting times. Before we pray, um, I just want to say that the two things the Lord's been saying to me is, he really wants to be the end of every single story. You know, stewarding him, stewardship in general is a, perspe- is a paradigm. It's a perspective. People that steward well have the right perspective. If you're stewarding your money well, you have a paradigm of finances that is correct. And so even though many of us are standing in faith for so many things, our healing, our um, children, our relationships, our, so many things, that's not the end-all, be-all. Those will be the result of, of what God does. But he wants to be the end. If I lay hands on Dawn, who's paralyzed, and she is healed, the end of the story, while the testimony of the power of God is demonstrated in her healing, the end of the story is God. It's always glory be to God. That's what he wants it, when we're stewarding our faith and our hope. He wants to be himself be the goal, the desire, and the end of every story. And, and the only other thing I wanted to say is um, a Bible study teacher that, that since has gone on to heaven, but I really appreciate his Bible studies. He, he always said the, the greatest tragedy in a Christian life is to take the will and the purpose of God for a life and exchange it for your own purpose and will. And yet... That's what we've seen so many times. It's kind of my will be done. Lord, please bless it. And if we would just turn that upside down and really seek him for his will and his purpose, we'd find out that our will for ourselves is pretty small and his is so great. So praise God for what he's doing now and what he's doing in this day. Man, be excited. Be expectant. Um, Hang with me. We're going to pray. And then I do have something very important I'm going to share with you. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you, God, for your beautiful word. Thank you that you are your word and that you 
you delight to reveal so much when we really do open our ear, turn our ears to you. God, I just pray that you would just drive this home deeper into the soil of our hearts, God. Let it encourage and invigorate our spirits, God. And it's amazing how you do that sometimes even when I have been physically the weakest. You've met me at that place and I have found an exhilaration with you that far supersedes even my own physical body. That's the kind of God that you are. So, Lord, I just pray that over each one listening here and online and God, that you would just move in hearts, that there would be such a stance of faith that it just literally carries us into a kingdom reality, a kingdom existence that is already ours by faith, but that we, we experience each day as we give you our yes. So what I just ask that, I just love you, I praise you, thank you, God, that you truly are in control, and we can trust that every day. In Jesus' name, amen.